Tonight we're going to be looking at the Word of God and if we had to put a title to this, it would be Praying in Wartime. Praying in Wartime. Go back to the 12th verse. We're going to go a little further than we did Sunday, but all of this goes together. We'll read these verses, we'll pray, and then we'll dive right in. Thank you again, musicians and everyone that was singing and playing. What a blessing. Verse 12 says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but then it lists who you wrestle, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day. He pauses right there and say this, we are in the evil day. And having done all to stand. Now, these verses will be new from where we were Sunday. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, and this is the key for tonight, which is the Word of God. Our text for tonight comes out of 17. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Let's pray. Holy Father, in Jesus' name, yet again, we come back into your presence. And God, we're so thankful for this evening that you've given us together around your Word, around song, around encouragement. God, to be here with my church family tonight, what a privilege and what an honor it is to be in church with these dear people. Lord, I pray that you'd bless them. God, I pray that you would add your blessing to the reading of your word. God, for where I have failed you, for where I have come short, Lord, I pray that you'd forgive me. God, for every infraction, God, that I don't even know about, Lord, I pray that you'd see me now as a clean vessel, Lord, able to preach and teach the word of God without fear and without favor, with anointing and with power with authority that only God can give in this day and this hour. Lord, I pray for strength. Hide me behind the cross. Encourage the church family. You know my heart tonight. Lord, equip us through your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. I want to focus on this 17th verse, and really I want us to focus on the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And if you will, I want us to go at the end of this verse, and we're going to back our way up through some other sermons. We'll talk about uh, the breastplate of righteousness. We'll talk about the gospel of peace. We'll talk about the shield of faith. But tonight, I want to link forever in your hearing and in your heart prayer and the Word of God working synonymously together as the sword of the Spirit. You cannot have a prayer life without the Word of God, and you cannot ingest, understand, or live out the Word of God without prayer. Let me say that again. You cannot have a prayer life 
without the Word of God, and you cannot understand, ingest, or live out the Word of God, and let me add this, the perfect will of God for your life without prayer. You can read your Bible, and that's wonderful. You need to read your Bible. But you must also pray to ask God to show you what He wants you to see in Scripture, that your heart will be fertile ground able to receive the seed, and that you can grow by praying and reading together. The two must exist in the same life. You can have a deep-seated love for the Word of God, and no doubt God can show you things, and things can come to heart from what you've heard preached, or from what you've heard taught, but there's something about taking the Word of God and praying before you even touch the Word of God, and you say, God, I'm getting ready to open your Word. I pray that you would guide my heart, that you would guide my eyes, and that you would do the work in my heart. Uh, that's why the Bible is so clear on vain repetition. Just taking a, a, a portion of Scripture and reading it out loud in sort of a methodical, robotic way. That is not how the Word of God is to be read. It's not how the Word of God is to be ingested. It's to be ingested, it's to be taken in prayerfully and carefully. Prayer is the essence of... It's the method by which Christians practice and keep fellowship with God. You cannot have a walk with God if you do not pray. You cannot have fellowship with God and be right with God and know what God wants for your life and for your family if you do not pray. I'm not talking about, Lord, thank you for my Whopper with cheese. Amen. I'm not talking about God, bless the hands who fix this fried chicken, amen. That's not a prayer life. That's simply acknowledging that the food that is on your plate getting ready to be in your belly came from God. That's wonderful. But prayer is so much more than this. It's, it's a lifestyle. Thessalonians talks about it that we should pray without ceasing. That all day, every day, we're, we're simply whispering out the dialogue of our heart to God as we live out our day. As you see someone approaching that maybe gets under your skin, you go, dear Lord, help me now to say the right thing. You better pray that or you get yourself in a mess. A prayer life with the Word of God. I submit to you that if you do not pray, then you can't be right with God. You say, well, what makes you say that? That's what, teacher scripture, that's what scripture teaches us. If Jesus Christ, who is all God and all man, had to live on this earth as a man, and if he had to go through temptation and be successful to come out of that temptation just as clean and holy with the Father in that union, how did he do that? He did it by quoting the Word of God. He did it by a consistent prayer life. Why would the Son of God have to pray? Because he was a man and he was showing you the steps, the process to live your life each and every day. And if Jesus had to pray, then what do you think Winston Parrish must do? He must pray. Uh, prayer is vital. It's absolutely vital that you pray, that you bolster your relationship with God through communicating with Him. Saved people, regenerate people talk to God, bottom line. If God has saved you from yourself and from your sin and from eternal damnation, 
And if you've not lost sight of the fact that He saved you from yourself, from your sin, and from eternal damnation, then there'll be something on the inside of you that wants to communicate with your Savior. Oh, Lord, thank You for saving me. God, thank You that I'm no longer caught up in a drug house. God, thank You that I'm not sprung out this weekend drunk and I don't even know my name. God, thank You for doing a perfect work of salvation in my heart so I can enjoy the blessings of God and be in church today. That's communicating with God. It may seem small. It may seem uh, inconsequential in eternity. But God inhabits the praises of His people and He is attentive when they speak to Him. And oftentimes we pray and we'll say this, well, I can't really feel it. I'm praying, but I feel like I'm praying up against a brick wall and it's just coming back and hitting me in the face. Uh, That's why... Human beings who are emotional people, we're carnal people, we're driven so much by our emotions that when we pray, we have to pray with this mindset that I am praying in the principle and not exactly in the feeling or the emotion of the moment. Sometimes I pray and I have passion and I'm loud and I feel like I'm connected to the ear of God himself and I can pray with authority and confidence and then sometimes all I can do is say his name. Because I can't feel a thing. I'm in a dark hole. I'm in a tight place. I'm at a funeral home. I'm in an ICU room. And God feels so far away. But the Bible teaches me clearly that God is there. That He can hear me. And even when I can't feel Him, He's there. Prayer is a lifestyle. And praying in wartime especially. Especially the day and the hour in which we're living. With all the love in my heart, this is what I believe I said in my office to multiple people today. I believe that we'll be able to weigh out, we'll be able to measure Christians in their life and in their lifestyle by the next five, six, seven years, what this world is becoming. You will be able to absolutely see the people who had a prayer life, who ingested the Word of God daily, and those that did not. The sifting has begun. The remnant is being prepared. Uh, God's Word tells us you will see perilous times. You will see darkness come. Things that you cannot even explain or understand. Unnatural affections. Things take place that have no business in humanity at all. The Bible teaches us that becomes worse the closer we get to the coming of the Lord Jesus. And we're in the middle of it. We're in those days. And things are not going to get better in this world. You say, well, that's depressing. Well, it's the truth. The Bible teaches us that. You see, if we read the Word of God, we will know that things are not going to get to this utopic uh, rainbow and roses until Jesus comes back and fixes it all for time and for eternity. There is, again, a war afoot. And you must learn to pray in wartime and pray effectively in wartime. Living in the pressure cooker of warfare that we're living in these days. I don't see how we can go one day. I don't understand how we are not forced to our knees every day with what we're living in. When you realize how weak you are in your own flesh. When you realize just how little control you have over certain circumstances in life. Moms, dads, let me help you with something. You cannot make your children love God. You cannot make your children love God. 
but you can get down on your knees and you can go into the throne room of heaven and you can plead the blood of Jesus over your family and beg God at an early age to put a hook in their heart so that one day they can sit beside you in church and the two of you can love God together. You see how we get things out of sort here. Well, I'll just punish them. I'll just beat them into subjection, if you will. They'll love God whether they want to or not. Yeah, and they'll never come to church ever again when they're about 18, 19 years old. We can't have the rod and no prayer. It doesn't work. That's why I'm so thankful I had a daddy that before he'd spank me over here on Clinton Avenue for lying, he'd pray with me and tell me why I was getting the spanking. Son, I've got to spank you because I want you to love God and I want you to respect God and I want you to fear God. You see, there's a process to this that if prayer comes out of the equation for our life, we can make a mess even with family members. Generational uh, misguidance. If you build a house and you're off square by a quarter inch, by the time you're done building your home, it will be so wobbly it will be unsafe to inhabit. And if moms and dads, leaders of the homes who are guiding their children, guiding their teenagers, are doing so without a prayer life, then you're flying a Boeing 777 and you're doing it blind. There's no difference in you getting your children, your babies, your most prized possessions and putting them in the back of the plane and then you getting up here having no idea how to fly a plane, putting on a blindfold and turning on the engines. There's no difference. How are you to know what God wants for your family if you don't pray and ask God to show you what's right for your family? How do you handle the situation when your teenage son is exposed to something at school? Well, back in my day, no, you better get on your knees and say, God, in mercy and in grace, give me the words, give me the wisdom, give me the discernment to know what to say could change their life. People at war must pray. The war that's at home is probably the greatest example of how desperately we need to be a people of prayer. And oftentimes we do this to ourselves and it's nothing more than Phariseeism and Sadduceeism. We'll say, well, I'm real serious this week about prayer. And I'm going to get up at 4 a.m. And I'm, I'm going to set my alarm and I'm, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray. 4 a.m. comes, I'm going to pray till 6 a.m. And I've made this promise to God and, 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 and we're going to do this together. I'm going to get up and I'm going to pray for two hours every day. Quit fooling yourself. And quit setting yourself up for unrealistic expectations that you are never going to be able to meet. People get so discouraged on the fourth day of that 4 a.m. alarm coming up. If God hadn't put 4 a.m. in your heart and given you the grace and the mercy to get up at 4 a.m. and pray, then don't even try. You're going to fail. You've got to pray about praying. Lord, what would it be today? Uh, will you find me some time? God, how do you want me to pray today? Who am I to pray for today? God, would you bring somebody to my heart, my church family that needs me to pray for them? And then God find me the time in my day. I, I, Lord, I think I've got some time around lunch. Before, if you'll protect my, my schedule, I'm going to pray. And finding the practicality of Christian living. Some of you are retired. Some of you have flexibility with your schedule and your job. You own your own business. 
And there are some Christians that would give their right arm to have the flexibility that you do so that they can pray. God's given you the ability to make your own schedule. If God's given you the ability to say when you're available and when you're not, then would you include Jesus in that equation? And maybe schedule some time with you and Him alone. But pray and ask God to show you how to pray, when to pray, and what to pray. And only He can give you the grace to follow through. You see, prayer is so important. Not just for you, but it also pertains to the glory of God. That's where our minds just, our finite minds sort of just get blown here. I can't even put this into words that God in His love for me created a way for me to have communication with Him and He did it at His pleasure for His glory. He did it because it's pleasing to Him when His children talk to Him. It's just that special. That's why the devil fights you so hard when it comes time to pray. You want to read your Bible? Enjoy the nap you're getting ready to take. You want to pray and seek the face of the Lord? Well, your phone's getting ready to blow up. Your hot water heater's getting ready to explode in your house. Isn't it funny how that works? That's the war of prayer. But then when you get done and the water is cleaned up out of the floor and you got the electrician on the way, then find a moment to say, God, thank you for a house that has a water heater that keeps us warm in the shower when we take a bath. Thank you, Lord, for my house. God, thank you for a friend that's able to come and help me fix it. God, thank you for the money to buy a new water heater. Amen. Praise the Lord. And don't allow the devil to rob you of the blessing of thanking God for being good to you. This is very practical, this lifestyle. We talked about it the other day, Poppy, the story of him dropping a trailer. Wasn't it a trailer? On his finger. A trailer. And I can imagine some of the things that may come out of my mouth or my heart when a trailer drops on my finger. And granddaddy, you were there. I witnessed to this. Poppy was such a holy man. Loved God, stayed so close to God. He lived out that prey without ceasing. When that trailer fell and smashed his finger... Instead of finding some old mountain words to use, he said, Lord, thank you for a finger to smash. God, thank you that I can feel the pain. Yeah, pray without ceasing. When you go to the bank and you're $100 shorter than you thought you were going to be, God, thank you for the $100 that I did have. It's all about a mindset, a lifestyle. It's practical Christian living is. We're not talking about you praying until you have no voice and your knees are bleeding. It can be as simple as you driving to work and instead of listening to ESPN radio, you turn it off and you say, Lord, speak to me. God, thank you for what you did in the service on Sunday. Lord, what would you have me to do? It's very practical, this lifestyle of prayer. God has made us and He has redeemed us for His glory and in that for fellowship. I get to talk to the creator of the heavens and the earth. I get to talk to him. I don't have to call Joe Biden. I can call on God. I don't have to call my senator. I can tell God. And straight to his ear through my advocate, his son Jesus. Prayer is powerful. The Bible says it teaches us to hide God's word in our heart. And in that, when you pray, it all comes together 
The Word of God solidifies what you are saying in your prayer. If you want the confidence to believe, if you want the faith to believe what you're praying is actually possible, not because of what you're able to do, but because of what God's able to do, then you must have God's Word hidden in your heart. Because from there, God's Word hidden in your heart is germinated by prayer. God's Word hidden in your heart is germinated by prayer. It will grow. It will develop. Why does the Bible say, grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ? How do I do that? By reading the Word of God and then praying. And asking God to take up the calluses and to take up the fallow ground in the places that are hard in my heart where I got hurt or someone lied on me, where a disappointment took place and saying, God, you touch me that I don't get cold, that I don't get bitter. God, you help me to believe what I know you promised me in the midnight hour of my prayer closet. Lord, I don't want to give up on that prayer that I've been praying all these years, that I'd see my son restored, my daughter come back from her prodigal lifestyle. You have to ask God sometimes to give you the faith to believe in the perfect will of God that He will sovereignly sovereignly bring about through our prayer that God is able. Prayer is powerful. And in wartime especially, it's vital. You see, prayer is a protection for the mind. We didn't get to get into all of this last time we met. Go to 2 Corinthians 10 for just a second. Let me give you this verse. This will help you, Lord willing, as it did me. 2 Corinthians 10.5. It says, Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Boy, let me read that again. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God. And bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Christian, can I help you with something? Can I help you understand something very clearly? Every thought that you do not think anything that is not then filtered through who Jesus is and what He wants for your life. Every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Why do you think Christians live in fear and in worry and in doubt and in panic and they see themselves differently than God sees them? Because there are thoughts that are living free in their head. And the Bible teaches you to go arrest those thoughts and put them in jail, in captivity, and then make them submit to the obedience of Christ for your life. Fear, you have no right in my head. You're under arrest. Now obey the will of God and the thoughts that Jesus has for me. The Bible teaches us to have the mind of Christ. Possess the mind of Christ. Not in just church life, but in everything you live. And bring it into obedience. See, the mind is the battleground. We declared war Sunday. God moved in this service. It was powerful. It was wonderful. But now the rubber meets the road. 
It's one thing to shout and rejoice and sign a piece of paper. It's another thing to put it to the test. And here we are putting it to the test already because here's what you need to understand. The battleground that you're going to fight this war on is not in this building. It's not. It's not next door on that little hill that's grassy and beautiful. It's not in Afghanistan. It's not in Ukraine. It's not in Russia. This battlefield is in your mind. It's the battlefield of your mind. What you think, what you process. And what you have to understand is that your flesh, listen to me now, I want this to help somebody here tonight. Your flesh will manufacture its own internal dialogue about you and about other people. Your your heart, your human emotions, Jeremiah the weeping prophet said, is desperately wicked and deceitful above all. You will lie to yourself. And you will lie to yourself until you're miserable. And you can't experience the joy and the peace and the happiness of being a Christian because your thoughts run wild. It sounds like this. Have you ever had these thoughts? That person doesn't like you. She talks about you behind your back. They have an agenda against you. She tells her family all sorts of things about you that are not true. You can't trust him. He's too young. That preacher, oh, he's full of himself. That preacher, he's not nice. You see, this is how the devil has access and a blue chair reserved every service that we have. Listen, every service that Trinity Baptist Church has, the devil has an inroad and a personal invitation to come and sit in a blue chair through the influence of human emotions and human hearts that are not kept captive and obedient to Christ. Imaginations. And if you're not careful, and especially if you're not praying and reading the Word of God, You'll have the whole world hating you. You'll have the preacher full of fallacies and wrongdoings. You'll hate your mama, your daddy, and your uncle who's trying to give you a tractor. And it'll be no, not one ounce of truth to any of it. And the devil will have you so miserable and so heartbroken and so nervous to trust someone that you're sidelined and you're no good to the kingdom of God. People will leave a church. Leave a church. That they stood and took the right hand of fellowship and said, I'm going to serve, I'm going to pray, I'm going to give, I'm going to pray for my pastor, I'm going to do all that I can for the glory of God here. And in six months, vain imaginations. They have no business in their head. They'll go join another church because of something that's not true. And if we're not praying... We're not ingesting the Word of God. And we'll make a mess that sometimes is irrevocably out of sorts. Cast down imaginations. You see, it always produces sin. You can write this down. Imaginations that are kept unchecked, that are allowed to roam your brain and your heart freely. There are a few things that will, that will happen here. It will produce sin. You can be guaranteed of it. It will come in the form of pride. It will come in the form of rebellion. 
And sometimes if you're not careful, it will come in the form of lust. You better be careful what you're hearing in your head. You better be careful what you're absolutely acting on. Is this something from the Lord? Or am I doing this out of fear? Have I talked to God at all today and I'm getting ready to make this life-altering decision? Have you asked God if you should buy that house? Have you asked the Lord if you should buy that vehicle and go in more debt? Is the Lord in any of the decisions in your home? If we're praying without ceasing and we're reading His Word, then we're, we're in a place where we fear God so much and we're so in love with being in His perfect will for our life that it's not that we can't live with joy, but it's that we live in the fear of God in a healthy place where we say, Lord, if this is what you want for me, would you reveal to me that this is the right thing for me and my family? Casting down imaginations and asking God to show you what He wants. And in prayer, it will prepare you for three things. We're almost to the end here. Prayer will prepare you for three things. It will prepare you for any argument, any skepticism, or any opinion that is contrary to the Word of God and contrary to the perfect will of God for your life. Be very careful telling a young preacher what you think God wants to do with his life. You leave that up to God. Well, I can see you're going to be a great evangelist. Well, how about you let God tell him what he's going to be? Well, I can see you're going to do this and you're going to do that for the Lord. You better make sure you're saying that in the Holy Ghost. It's very, we have to be very cautious with what we tell people that is from the Lord. And if God's put something in your heart and he, you're in a moment and someone that's a weaker Christian or in a place they shouldn't be and they want to be nice and they want to encourage you or say something that's great and they say something that goes contrary to what God's put in your heart, you pray and say, Lord, protect me. Lord, if you want me to do what you told me to do, you're going to have to protect my mind because what that person just said, even though I trust them and love them, I don't think they said that in the Holy Ghost. I don't think they said that in you approve. My spirit doesn't bear witness. You be careful what you say to people about what God wants to do with their life. Because God will tell them if they'll follow Him and listen to Him. And as you grow, you see, this is like working out. Who absolutely loves working out? Granddad, don't raise your hand. Who loves working out? Yeah, it's great. Stress reliever. It's what prayer's like. Prayer's like working out. You see, it's like a, a muscle as it grows. It needs tension. It needs weight. It needs repetition. You can't go pick up a 75-pound dumbbell and crank out five sets of 15 if you've never picked it up before. You need to start with a 5-pound or a 10-pound and build up to that 75-pound weight. This thing takes time. Start with what you can carry and then ask God to strengthen you to carry more. Pray with the Word of God open right in front of you. And I would encourage you, if you're not praying now, the best way to start is to start you a list to pray for. Pray for a list. Get it together. You do it first for your spouse. Pray for your spouse. If you're not praying and you want to learn how to pray tonight, this week, the first thing you can do if you're married, pray for your spouse. You see, it's so much better to begin to learn to pray, praying for other people. 
You can't start off learning to pray and praying just for yourself. You first got to learn to pray for other people. Granddaddy, you've taught us this, somebody that's hurting, somebody that's depressed. You know, if you're in a place that you're hurting, if you're in a place that you're depressed, you're down, go find somebody that's in a worse place than you are, love them and pray for them. This is how you learn to pray. It's how God taught me how to pray. Pray for other people. First, pray for your spouse, then pray for your children. Those that are in the home and children no matter where they are. Pray for them. Then third, and this may seem out of line, but this is what the Word of God teaches us in many ways, but pray for your spouse, pray for your children, but then pray for your pastor. Pray for your pastor. You say, well, he should be seven or eight down on the list. No, if you know what your pastor is, if he's to teach your family, if he's to be the under-shepherd, if he's to go get God and to understand what God wants for the church and the leadership of the church, you need to pray for your pastor as he makes decisions and leads the church. Then fourth, pray for your church. Pray for everyone, but pray for the sick. Pray for the shut-in. Those that want to be here that can't be. Number five, pray then for your family. This is cousins, aunts, and uncles family in other states. You say, well, shouldn't the church be there and, and the pastor be below family? Uh, sometimes the closest relationships we have in this world, I have family that's all over the southeast. See them a couple times a year. Talk a couple times a month. I talk to y'all every day. I love all of y'all with a great heart of love and I need you and you need me. That's why the church is so paramount in our lives. Pray for your pastor, pray for your church, pray for your family that lives in other states or their cousins, aunts, and uncles. Pray for your friends and then pray for your community and your country. A lifestyle of prayer. You see, church, we're never going to go where God wants us to go. We're never going to see the blessings of God. We talked about it in our message Sunday about that building, the educational building. Thank God's put it in our heart. It's obvious that we need it. God's never going to let us see that building built until we get a heart for prayer, a heart for the Word, and do it consistently. If we want God to bless this church, to open up doors that we cannot even imagine, it's not going to be the pastor. It's not going to be the staff. It's going to be all of us together coming to an understanding of what's required and praying in wartime with fervency and tenacity and I think God's going to do it. You say, well, you say that kind of in a negative tone. No, I'm saying it in a heart of expectation. I think God is going to do it. I know the core that's here. I know these people. Some of you have been living for God longer than I've been alive. You've been praying longer than I've been called to preach. And God's going to do great and mighty things in the midst of this church family. I believe it. I hope you do. I hope you're praying that way. Gone a few minutes over. Let's go get our children and go home. Be careful. Be safe as you do. And we'll see you back here for the Lord's Day. Come praying. Come believing. Holy Father, in Jesus' name, we thank You for Your Word. God, we thank You for the understanding that You've given us tonight, the reminder for some that we must pray, must read the Word of God and do the two together. Or that You have equipped Your people. Lord, I pray now that You would touch us, that You would lead us, guide us, and direct us. Lord, I believe with all my heart you have something special for this church. Lord, we don't want to miss it. God, we don't want to miss your perfect will for this church. We pray that you would do it. We pray that you would do it in your time. 
But God, I pray that the urgency of the hour would be upon the heart of the people. Do it now in your holy name. We pray together. Amen.